All right, well, here we go. We're in our last uh, week of our series called What Are We Fighting For? And we've been talking a lot about the things that we fight about, we debate, with the things that are polarizing for us. We've talked a lot about how we have those debates and, and how we approach them. And um, one of the questions you might have had along the way, we've talked about this too, but you might have, have, have kind of thought, um, well, does that mean we just fight, like we debate about everything? Or does that mean that everything is disputable? That, that we talk about how, you know, we got to be gracious with each other and not be super judgmental and uh, all that kind of stuff. And you, you might have stopped and said, okay, but there's got to be some things on which we, we don't really argue about, we, we would stand for and say, this is important to who we are. And so today, what I want to do is talk a little bit about what we call disputable matters. We talk about the things that we can uh, argue about, debate, even agree to disagree on. And in the midst of that, one of the, one one of the questions I hope that we can wade into is, but what are the things that are not disputable? Are there things in Christianity or for Jesus followers that are not disputable? So this is a bit of a family discussion today. So amongst those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want to talk about that a little bit and I want us to really wrestle with it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you're here just checking things out, maybe you have a lot of questions about Christianity, you're watching online and you're not sure about all of this, we sort of want to start with a posture to say, we got to confess that we're not always good at this kind of stuff. We're not always good at um, the things that, that we argue about. We're not always good at arguing well. We're not al always good at being gracious, even though we talk about it. And we're not always good at figuring out even what are the things that maybe we need to put in the disputable matters category and what are the things that we don't put in the disputable matters category. So if you're someone who's kind of looked from the outside in and gone, man, these Christian people, they're talking about all these things about how to graciously disagree and all that kind of stuff. They don't always seem that gracious. I think a bunch of us have to sort of say, you're right. We got to confess that. Let's just look inwards for a little while and figure out some of these questions and work towards a, a better way of doing things. And, uh, and to figure out what is it that we really need to make sure we're holding tightly and what do we need to hold more loosely. And when I say that, I say it because there's a lot at stake. I remember in my own life, actually, um, where I kind of, this, this came to a head for me, was when I was in university. When I was in university, um, after my, during my first year, actually, um, I switched my major into a biblical studies, and a lot of these questions about things that I had learned growing up in church and in Sunday school and youth group and books I had read and things that I had been taught, um, I really was just into figuring them out and asking questions, and so when I was in university, I switched my major and I started studying these things, and uh, I remember there there's a lot of things that had been taught to me, or again, I'd read them in books or youth group stuff, whatever. And um, the, the way that they were presented sometimes was not, here's some things that we think, this is our interpretation, here's some opinions that we think are important, but instead, this is fact. And if you're a Christian, this is the way you need to interpret that part of scripture, or this is what you must believe, or else uh, if you don't believe this, then you don't believe anything in the Bible and you got to throw it all out. And I remember getting to a place as a young adult, thinking on deeper levels and talking to other people and realizing that there are people, even there's people even within Christianity who had very different interpretations of some of the topics that I was talking about, very different interpretations of the scriptures. They come to very different conclusions. And I remember even before interacting with some of those people coming to a place where I thought some of these things I've been taught, now I'm wrestling with them. I don't know if I believe it, or I don't know if I believe it that way, or I'm now considering other options. And what does that mean? Does that mean uh, that now, uh, you know, I'm just kind of blown up the whole thing and I can't be a Christian? And I think that's something 
something we have to take seriously for those of us who are adults, not just for us, but for the next generation, that if we just package everything that we think and everything that we believe and every interpretation that we have as uh, like an all or nothing, you're in or you're out, you either believe this or you you don't believe any of it, that this is uh, a test of whether or not we are a Christian, then we're setting people up for really difficult decisions when they come to a place where they go, well, I don't know if I believe that anymore. Does that mean I have to throw out all of my Christianity? Does that mean I can't believe anything in the Bible if I don't believe the interpretation that I once did if I changed my mind? And, uh, you know, it doesn't take long. You can do Google searches on it, read a million books about how uh, so many people uh, right now is very popular to deconstruct and to go, there's certain things in, in my life, certain things in my religious past or things that I believed or were taught that at a certain point in my life, now I'm questioning. And I think if, if for us, we make everything an essential, everything that we believe, every interpretation an essential, then when people come to those points where they go, oh, now I have questions about this or doubts about this, or I'm not sure about this, they, you know, they might think, and this is maybe for our next generation, for uh, our teens and our young adults. And if we just go, hey, everything is an all or nothing proposition, then we're setting themself up for a lot of people to go, well, then maybe I need to walk away altogether. And I actually don't think that's the case. I think that actually God can handle our questions and our deeper thinking and even a lot of our disputes and the things that we might argue or debate about. But does that mean that everything's debatable and everything is disputable? So today we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like. I am convinced of, maybe the thing in this series I am most convinced of, and I said this last week, but I want to reiterate it before we go on from this series, is that when it comes to the things that we fight about, when it comes to polarizing issues, things, disagreements that we have, all the rest of it, I don't think we have any hope of making any progress moving forward at all without growing character. Maybe if you walk away from this series and there's nothing else that you remember or learn, that is what I would love for you to take away. There's always going to be another polarizing issue. There's always going to be something else to fight about. There's always going to be the hot topic that all of a sudden we go, oh no, and we don't agree and we got to fight. And if we are not growing to be more like Jesus and we're not deepening our character and, and fostering the fruit of the Spirit living inside of us, we have no hope of making things better and moving forward in a positive way. All we're going to do is get angry and and bitter, and divisive, and there's always going to be another thing to fight over. So the point is not that we just say, let's create a list of all the divisive things, let's choose our side of whatever issue, and then say, if you're with us, you're with us, and if you're not, then you can go be somewhere else. It's just not going to work, and if we have any hope of moving forward, it's going to be in a growing character to become more like Jesus. Okay, ready? If you have a Bible and you want to turn to uh, Romans chapter 14, we're going to talk about what Paul in this passage calls disputable matters. We're going to talk a little bit more before we finish this series on how we, how we might approach disputable matters. And I want to talk about, like I said, uh, well, how do we know what's a disputable matter? What's disputable and what maybe isn't disputable? Um, because differentiating the two can be very important. So here's what Paul says, starting in verse 1, Romans chapter 14. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand." 
A little background. Here's their disputable matter that Paul's talking about here. It's about food laws. Now, there's a couple of different groups that would have trouble with food. And he's talking about people. Some people are just eating anything. They're eating the meat, whatever. Some people are only eating vegetables. They're very strict. And you've got this divide. And some of us might go, I mean, that seems silly. Just eat whatever you want. No big deal. This is, for many people, a, a huge part of their faith and how they live out their faith. So for those who are Jewish... And a huge group of people, because Jesus was Jewish, so a huge group of the early church were Jewish people who were following Jesus, and they remained Jews. They didn't stop being Jews all of a sudden, but now they were following Jesus as Jewish people. It was written in their Bible, in our Bible, um, Leviticus 11, for example. There are all these food laws. This is what you can eat and what you cannot eat. And there were so many things you couldn't eat. We've covered some of this ground in the last couple of weeks. And the reason behind why you couldn't eat certain things is because you're supposed to be different. The Israelites, from early on, you're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to be like everybody else. So everybody eats pork. Why don't you eat pork? Because we're not like everybody else. What about shellfish? Well, everybody eats that, but we're not like everybody else. And so it was this, it was this deep sense of there's certain things we do not do. And even if you go, why would they pick those things? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. But the big one is because it was a way of showing we don't just do what everybody else does. And there's a whole bunch of moral laws and all kinds of other stuff that also go with it. But the word that they use for that is we're supposed to be holy That means we belong to God, and so we do things differently than people who don't. And so you have people who are now coming to a place where uh, you've got Jesus, and again, they're still Jewish, and they're trying to be faithful Jews in their relationship to God and other people, and Jesus has come, and there have been now these debates. Is that still something that we follow through on? Do we still follow the food laws, or do we not? And the early church is actually a bunch of places in Acts, you see this, in Galatians, you see this. They're very stuck on, do these laws still apply? And in Acts, we read that, that there's this vision that Peter has, and he sees that God declares uh, all food clean because he's declaring all people clean. And so that whole principle that you are different was something important for them to learn. Just don't go with the flow. Don't do everything everybody else does. But now, in the light of Jesus, it was, but now we're trying to bring all people close to us. And so that distinction might be helpful for us to learn, but it's not the ultimate distinction because now we're trying to actually uh, go out into the world and share that everybody is equal. Everybody is created in God's image. No No one is unclean, and so they were sort of now moving on from that lesson that they had learned and going further. But people, you could see how they would struggle with that. Well, but don't we still have to follow these rules? It's deeply ingrained in our religious habits. And then you also had non-Jewish people who were coming to follow Jesus. And some of these people we read in the book of Corinthians, for example, in Corinth, there were temples to other gods and goddesses. And a big part of going to those temples was often offering sacrifices. And they would be, uh, one of the sacrifices would be meat. And so you would bring your, uh, your animal or whatever, and you would sacrifice it. And it would be by some priest or priestess would be blessed and given part of it to a god or goddess. And so you have these people, part of that was not just that we would go and we would give these sacrifices, but in some of these places, there were, uh, there were moral things uh, that happened in those temples. There was temple prostitution. There was different ways of living that they found is not compatible with following Jesus. And so some of these people, their hang up with the food was, well, I used to be part of a religious tradition where we would eat this meat, but after it was offered to these gods and goddesses, and now I just remember being part of that. And part of that's in, in the back of my head. And it wasn't just the meat, but it was what we did in the temple and how we lived our lives. And we've turned away from that. And so there were non-Jewish people that struggled with what they were supposed to eat. Are we supposed to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols or not? Because I don't want to go back to that way of living. I moved on from that. And I've learned that we can't do these things. And so you have a bunch of people who are very much struggling with whether or not you can eat meat, but it's for, for deep 
It's not just uh, that surface level of what do we eat. It's for these deep religious and moral and spiritual reasons that they're doing it. So it's a really big deal for them. And Paul brings up in that passage we read two tendencies for us when it comes to debatable matters. By the way, later in this passage, Paul's going to share his opinion, which is meat is just meat, and whether it's you know, uh, offered to an idol or not, it uh, doesn't really matter, but, but he's going to work through it. Notice he doesn't at the beginning just say, just settle this, just tell everybody you can eat meat. It doesn't really matter. He doesn't do that. In fact, he works through a whole different way of how people are going to treat each other when they disagree and they're in a disputable matter, something that they're fighting over. So he starts with two tendencies. One is to judge. So for those of you who are strong, he says, don't judge those who are weak. So those of you who feel really strong, you're confident, your conscience is clear, you feel like you can eat the meat, um, you've sorted through those issues And you know, hey, deep within my soul, I don't think I'm doing something wrong. And I don't believe this is something that God has prohibited. We can eat the the meat and it's going to be fine. Uh, For those of you who are strong, don't judge those who don't have that same confidence. So he's talking about a pride here. There's a sense that I've gotten further than somebody else. Why didn't, haven't they just figured everything out? They're so young in their faith. They're so immature. Why don't they understand uh, that they can eat the meat? It doesn't matter. I don't understand why they're so stuck in the past. They're stuck on things that we've moved on from. I've grown past these issues. They're uneducated maybe. Maybe they don't understand the issue. And I think that's easy for a lot of us too, right? You got an issue and you go to Amazon and you Google what's the best book on this issue and you read a book and you come to an opinion and you go, I don't know why anybody else is still stuck on this. I read a book about it. Well, congratulations, look at you. You're so strong and you've got this strong conviction and and conscience and whatever. Paul goes, listen, there's a lot of pride in that. So great, you've come to your position on the issue. And you might even be right. But don't judge those who have another. Don't look down on them. They're working through this issue too. And then he comes the other way and he says, for those who are weak, your, uh, your tendency might be to condemn And so you might be the person who goes, no, my conscience not clear. We can't eat the meat. We shouldn't be doing this. Uh, Haven't you read in the Bible? I'm still trying to follow the Bible and work my way through this. He says, don't condemn those uh, who who have passed this in their conscience. You know, don't look at them and say, they don't care. Oh, they've just, they're immoral. Oh, they've flown off the handle. They don't even believe in the Bible anymore. We make all these assumptions. They're heathens. doesn't matter how they live. He goes, listen, when you guys are doing that, when you're judging and condemning, you're not giving anybody the benefit of the doubt. You're just thinking poorly of each other and putting each other down. You're judging. Oh, why have they figured this out? Why haven't they got to where I am in life where we can move past this issue? Or they're condemning, I can't believe that they would just go off the handle like heathens and just eat the meat, do whatever they want to do. They don't care about the Bible. They don't care about God. They're not. He goes, no, 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 you're just pushing each other down. It's not helpful. And then towards the end of that passage, he talks about, and here's why you can't do that, because who are you to judge someone else's servant? In other words, you're not in charge. You are not their master. You are not their judge. Or in other words, the position of judge is already taken. But I'm right. I figured out the issue. Paul doesn't go, yeah, you know, you guys are right. So just tell everybody what to do. He could have done that. He could have said, I just solved the issue for you. So if you're on our side, you're good. He goes, no, no, no. You are not the judge. You're not the master. These people have a different master. 
So it's not your position to judge them. It's not your position to condemn them. It's Jesus who is going to do that, who has that authority, who, by the way, is better than you will ever be, than we will ever be at being the judge of where your heart is and what your positions are and all the rest of it. The position of judge is taken, which means the approach that we have to disagreeing is so important. How we treat each other when we disagree is so important. That's what we've been talking about all these three weeks. So let's talk about this. Well, what's not disputable? Okay, so if even in, in this text we could say, man, these people had biblical precedent to their position, and both of them probably could have proved biblically their position at the end of the day. Well, how do we, like, do we ever just say, okay, there's some things that are not disputable? Is that even an option, or is everything just up for grabs? Here are some things in the New Testament that I've found um, are spoken of so strongly that, like, this is where you would say, no, we're standing on this. This is not disputable because this is part of our identity and who we are, and it doesn't mean we're jerks about it, um, but these are the kind of non-disputable things, even the things that you would say, if people are going to really fight about this, we would have to stand and say, well, this is who we are, and if you disagree with it, that's okay, but we're kind of standing here. We're not going to argue a ton about it. Uh, we're just going to humbly say this is, this is not disputable. So here's some things I found from Scripture. I don't have a ton of time to go into each. I'll give you references. Feel free to write them down and go read them later. Number one, Jesus' incarnation and love ethic. Look at 2 John verses 7 to 9. So in this passage, he says there's some people who are denying that Jesus came in the flesh. Uh, they're walking away from the fact that he loved other people. Here's what's really clear. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, and it makes sense because this is pretty definitive. This is a definition of what it is to follow Jesus is we have to believe in Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is the heart of who God is and how God would look if he showed up because he has in the incarnation. It's very clear that Jesus taught us that the most important thing of all the laws and all the rules and everything that came before him and everything that built him up to be who he was was to love God with everything that you are and to love your neighbor. That's the love ethic. So this is something we go, man, out of that, there's a ton of splinters and we could disagree on a bunch of how that looks. But this is very central. Jesus followers believe that Jesus came in the flesh to love God and to love other people. Number two, the gospel. So Galatians 1.6. Actually, the whole book of Galatians is great to read on these topics. If you're looking for it, they dive into food stuff. They dive into other markers that made people uh, Jewish. And one of the things that is super clear in Galatians is we got to come to the gospel, the good news, which is that God loves us and offers us forgiveness and grace. The kingdom of God is now available if you want to receive it. You don't earn it. Uh, there's not a bunch of things that you have to do to make God love you. At the center of it, it's the good news that Jesus has showed up to announce the kingdom. You can receive it. Number three, that grace is not a license to sin. Read in Jude uh, verses three to four, short book in, in Jude. Um, but listen, there's a whole bunch of, again, disagreements on uh, moral issues and things that we should do or shouldn't do. But here in Jude, really strong language around um, not just do we debate what's right or wrong in a certain situation, but if there's people coming say, hey, God loves you and forgives you, so it doesn't really matter what you do. You just say sorry after. No big deal. Because no, 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 that's a misunderstanding of grace and forgiveness. Uh, that's a big deal. How you live, it goes back to number one, how you love God and love other people is very important. So if you're abusing grace or just using it as a license to, to do terrible things in the name of God, that's a big problem. And then finally, this is a bit of a paradox, comes from Titus 3.10, is divisiveness. When will we divide from people? When they're divisive. 
And you go, oh, but if we're not divisive, how can we divide? Well, that's a bit of the paradox. Sometimes in order to maintain unity, if there's people who are just always breaking things up and fighting about everything and to the point where there's no unity, it's all disunity and, and we can't stay together and they're super divisive, you've got to go, man, we're not going to be divisive. And so we've got to kind of cut that part out. We have to commit to unity. These are some of the things that we would say are, are just not disputable, that even in the New Testament it becomes pretty clear, like these are foundational, they go to our ideas identity. Jesus has shown up to show us what God is like. The good news of the gospel is available through the grace and forgiveness of God. That impacts how we live, and it should, and that brings us unity, not divisiveness. So uh, the early Christians, as they kind of talked about, well, well, then what's most important, and what do we need to make sure that we all agree on? Again, even in the ancient world, there was lots of things to disagree about, and those ancient Christians, they weren't perfect either, and they disagreed about all kinds of stuff. But when it came to really solidifying, what, what is it that we could all come together and say? What is it that we could all come together and say we're united in this? They came, even in the first 300 years, um, to, to write down things like the Apostles' Creed. So here's an example the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest uh, expressions of Christian dogma. What do we believe? And this has been and still is in many traditions in Christianity, something they might recite together every week. And here it is. And just notice the kind of things that are in here and the kind of things that aren't in here. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Score. We could all say that. This is just kind of these core things. Like there's nothing about dinosaurs. Right? Oh, is it important? Well, we, I don't know. But like they didn't think so. They didn't probably know anything about dinosaurs. Interesting. Anyway, you guys can talk about that later. Okay, so we need to recognize a little bit about where we're on in the spectrum when we're looking at different issues and we're arguing about stuff, where are we at in kind of the cycle of what's truly core and truly like this is a, a hit or miss, in, like big deal, not big deal. Um, and maybe this is uh, helpful for you, a little picture. I get this from Greg Boyd and Paul Eddy, uh, who just talk about doctrine a little bit, Christian doctrine. And they just point out, you know, you can't treat everything that we believe or that you believe equally, that there's sort of concentric circles of theology. So right at the core, as we've talked about, is Jesus, that, that we believe that the, the most clear expression of who God is, it, we see as Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of humanity to forgive and offer grace and announce the kingdom of God is now near. This is core. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to have Jesus right at the center. And then you have a circle outside of it, which we call dogma. So these are things like the Apostles' Creed, like these, these core things that Christians have believed for almost 2,000 years and that aren't going away. They've stayed steady and they don't really rise or fall. It's like we believe in the incarnation of Jesus. We believe in the cross. We believe in the, res the resurrection, that these are kind of core, core dogmas. And then outside of that, we have doctrine, which is we take those dogmas and we take the most important things and we take scripture and then we start trying to figure out answers to different questions. And, you know, if you can go to school and study and get big 
thick books on systematic theologies and how does this all fit together and you can talk about specific different categories and issues and figure out what do we believe about it and based on Jesus and the doctrine and what we have in scripture to build doctrines and then outside of that you get opinions you go man there's a million things and it might be that scripture is not even clear on a certain issue and it might be that there's a hundred different ways of looking at something and you come to an opinion now if you look at this I'm not saying to you as you look at this oh the that outer circle your opinions don't really matter doctrine's not that big a deal that's not what I'm saying I'm not saying that there's nothing important in in these circles. What I'm saying is we need to understand where we are in the concentric circles. Are we at like this is Christianity and it hasn't changed in 2,000 years? Or are we on that outer circle of like I have an opinion about something and read some books or in the last couple of decades this has become a really hot topic and so now we're talking about it because here's the reality. This is true. Think about this. Most of what we fight about is in one of the two outer circles. Am I right? When's the last time you went to Christmas dinner and you had a barn-burning, like, all-out fist fight about the incarnation of Jesus? No, it's the hot topics. It's your opinion. And it's even maybe these doctrines and how does this, and these complicated things, and oh, I disagree with you on that. Most of the time, it's on those outer two circles. And so you go, oh, so we shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. No, no, no. You should come to good opinions about those things and the things about uh, how you live your life and, and all of that. that. That's not that it's not important. You just need to know where you are in those concentric circles. Am I really, is this a really life and death thing? Is this like a, you're, you're not a Christian if you don't believe this thing and actually be honest about it and go, maybe what we're talking about is our opinion. And that needs to change our approach. And you see how Paul goes, He never says, hey, this eating meat thing is not important. And how you interpret the scriptures on that, it doesn't matter. Just forget about it. He doesn't say that. But he goes, listen, this whole judging and condemning thing doesn't work. You're just going with pride. You're just building yourself up. You're just arguing. You're putting people down. So in verse 5, he says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. He's now talking about either or both of uh, holy days, feast days. Again, probably from the Jewish calendar. This is when we're supposed to celebrate certain things because they're important to our tradition. And probably the Sabbath. When is it that we're supposed to not work and worship and pray and be in community together? And there were people who were like, well, it's always been Saturday. And that's the way because we're Jewish. And it was always that day. And that's it. And it says it in the Bible. And there's other people that go, yeah, but we're Christians. And over, over time... A lot of Christians said Sunday's more that day. It's the first day of the week, resurrection day. We come together, we, we worship, we, you know, and they change the day. And he goes, you guys are fighting about it. Each of you should be fully convinced in your own mind. So you shouldn't just say, doesn't matter, let's not talk about it. No, you should, you should actually read your Bible. You should talk to other people. You should pray about it. You should rethink about it and be convinced. But whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstain does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Did you get that? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord is Jesus. Who's in charge is Jesus. And actually, the very first, uh, very clear doctrinal profession of early Christians was, Jesus is Lord. 
All these other things, very, very important. The most core thing that they said after the resurrection of Jesus is Jesus is Lord. So how do we make decisions on how we live and how we interpret things? We start with Jesus is Lord, the incarnate one who came, stepped into our world, shows us what it looks like to love, died for our sins, forgave us, was resurrected. He now is ascended to the throne of the Father, and he is Lord, which means... I am not Lord, and you are not Lord, which is why you don't condemn and judge each other, because you're not the judge, and you're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So we don't say, we fight about all these things, so do whatever, you do whatever you want to do, and I'll decide whatever I want to do. That's part of it, but Paul goes, but no, 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 you don't. and this is very culturally um, prevalent for us, who's in charge of your life and their life, we would say, in, in culture at large, oftentimes, I have no authority in your life. You can do whatever you want to do. You don't judge me. I don't judge you. We can all live our lives how we want to live our lives. It's very popular. For Paul, he goes, no, 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 no. You don't judge each other. But actually, your self-reflection is to ask, if you're a follower of Jesus, how do I live out a life where Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Means this. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, I don't really have no authority to speak into your life, but if you're a follower of Jesus... How you uh, treat your money, what you do with your money, should be a reflection of Jesus as Lord. What does Jesus talk about when he talks about money? Your sex life should be informed by Jesus as Lord. How you treat people who have hurt you should be a reflection of Jesus as Lord. Where does authority rest? We don't judge each other, because I'm not the authority over your life, but it doesn't mean that I'm authority over my life either. Jesus is the authority over my life if I'm a follower of Jesus. So now my filter of how I live my life and what I believe should come under that, that primary doctrinal statement way deep down at the beginning of Christianity that Jesus is Lord. And I need to satisfy my conscience by being as honest as I can in the scriptures and before the Holy Spirit and God to say the way I make decisions about what I believe and how I live comes through that filter of Jesus is Lord. And then as community, I think we have the opportunity to say, hey, it's not that you get to judge me and I get to judge you, but why don't we help each other with that? Why don't we come alongside each other and in humility say, I want my life to look like Jesus is my Lord. Let's talk about how we deal with our money. Let's talk about our sexual ethic. Let's talk about how our job should be impacted by that. Let's talk about our marriages and, and how we raise our kids is reflected by the fact that at the core of who we are, we believe Jesus is Lord. That I'm not Lord, you're not Lord, culture's not Lord, blah, blah, blah. Jesus is Lord. We're going to close in, in just a minute here. Um, so kind of just wrap things up. And I'm going to ask the band to come on up in, in a second here. Um, just read a couple of more verses. We skip down to the end of this chapter. Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul now is given, here's my opinion on the thing we were fighting about. I actually don't think anything's unclean. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. You might be right about the issue. You're wrong about the approach. So do not by eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. And then he kind of gets down to what's so important. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not actually about this one issue, he says. But 
of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In other words, being right without being relational isn't right. Just being right without being relational, without asking how does how I live and what I think affect somebody else, my brothers, my sisters, it's not right. Even if you're right, you're not right. So we got to ask then, what's my focus? Am I so worried about why are we fighting about everything? Why do we feel the need to fight about everything? A couple of questions that might be better. What are we fighting for? Why are we always trying to be right? What are we hoping the outcome of all of our fights are? Here's maybe a better one for me. Not why are, what are we fighting for, but who are we fighting for? Who are we trying to encourage? Who are we trying to lift up? Who are we trying to help? And when we reframe our discussions based on those questions, it's not that the issues go away, but that our approach changes. So what are we fighting for? As Jesus followers, as people who want to see God's kingdom come more and more into this world, what are we fighting for? Maybe the better question is, who are we fighting for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray for people who even right now are thinking of issues that are really painful for them, maybe even broken relationships that have come about because of discord and bitterness and things that we fought about. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to think clearly about what we really need to stand on, what it means to live as people who believe that Jesus is our Lord. And I pray that you would enter into the places where we disagree and where we fight that you would help us to grow in character, in grace, and in love, and peace, and joy, and that uh, we would be the kind of people who aren't just, aren't just fighting to be right, but are fighting for one another and fighting for the world, the world that you love. And we thank you that at the core of all of it and all the things we could fight about, that you send Jesus into that world to bring us, draw us closer to you and to each other. We pray in Jesus' name.